Welcome to the Slightly Evil Podcast, where in 30 minutes we aim to arm you with new, non-obvious and fun ways to improve DNI in your company. I am your host, Petar. Today I am joined by my colleagues Anne Gregory and Kedar Eyer as we discuss the topic of onboarding. A lot of projects start with a lot of goodwill and a lot of energy, but most of the time things slow down and momentum is lost and sometimes even projects just stall out. Today we want to share with our listeners some of the ways that we at Gap Jumpers tackle the issue of onboarding and managing stakeholders so that projects get delivered on time and to everybody's satisfaction. Kedar and Anne, welcome to the Slightly Evil Podcast. Let's kick off with the first question. What are the best onboarding success KPIs that prevent a project from failing? The way I like to look at uh, success criteria typically is that it should drive an outcome that facilitates the next stage of uh, the process, whatever it may be. So in the case of onboarding, since it's the first step of any process delivery or solution delivery, it needs to be one that helps drive momentum towards the project becoming a resounding success. And so every onboarding success criteria or KPI that is defined should aim to deliver against that momentum. So in the context of gap jumpers, it might be what's the adoption rate with regards to recruiters and hiring managers within the organization or a particular team that is piloting the gap jumpers. Or in the context of you know uh, the recruiters specifically, how many roles are they willing to commit towards a project like this? And are they enthusiastic about doing that and delivering outcomes towards all the roles that they see problems uh, in? And those are some of the things that I would like to see as uh, being you know, pillars of ensuring a good and successful onboarding process. And your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything Kadar has said. And, and also, I think it's very important to keep in mind that these types of internal conversations have happened with our clients before we start the onboarding process. I think it's very important to help shape those KPIs because we need to make sure that all of the stakeholders, both the buyer group and the user group, understands why the company is reaching out to a service like ours and looking for products to help then find solutions to some of the issues that they're seeing and and making sure that everybody is on board with the why before we start with the how. And I think that really helps shape those KPIs as well. Now, of course, KPIs revolve around various agendas. So what are some of the things that Gapjumpers does to getting buy-in around the KPIs? I can start with that one. I think that really when you are starting to discuss this with the stakeholders, that everything can fall underneath a broad umbrella of communication. So you always want to make sure that you are presenting your onboarding process as being a profit center and not a cost center. Because when you're dealing with both hiring managers and recruiters, they are already so busy and have so many things on their plate that you want to make sure you're framing your onboarding process to allow them to know what kind of time commitment and kind of workload they're going to have up front in a process like this. Because I think that that's one of the things that is most important to these stakeholders is making sure that what you're trying to do is not only a viable solution to a problem that they're seeing, but it's also going to make them more efficient and actually take some of that workload off their plate and not be much of a time commitment in return. 
Yeah, I tend to agree because uh, what we also find is typically um, while while getting these KPIs defined, it's quite important to ensure that we focus on the collective goal of you know both user groups uh, or, or both the user group and the buyer group. And typically in early conversations, we might have a scenario where um, we we paint the vision of achieving certain diversity metrics in terms of improvements for a company or certain you know recruitment criteria that we might achieve uh, but it's always important to ensure that the user group that you know this really impacts on a daily basis and that are actually involved on the ground trying to make certain you know recruitment criteria stick for example you know trying to reduce a time to hire on a daily basis for every role uh, we can basically follow through on the grand vision to show them concretely how these criteria manifest in terms of you know reducing time to hire by a week for a role that they've been struggling to hire for the last six months and sort of bringing uh, you know the grand vision down to the real success criteria that matter to them on a daily basis and when we do that it's quite easy to see how you know both parties tend to gravitate towards you know, the collective goal of making sure this project becomes a success, irrespective of who took the decision to buy. Now, regarding the whole buy-in process, how do you determine what stakeholders to focus on? I think the stakeholder focus really shifts depending on where you're at in the onboarding process. Uh, with Gap Jumpers in particular, there are several different groups of stakeholders that we address at any given time. And the message does shift and the way we present the material kind of depends on the audience that we are addressing. And we start off with those buyer groups that are trying to make the decision of whether or not our product is something that is going to help them with the particular problem that they're seeing. And then we shift focus then to the user groups, which includes both recruiters and hiring managers. And when we start with the recruiters, we really want to make sure that we're laying a good foundation or a good base because they're going to be their first line advocates for this type of process to make sure that as it trickles down to the hiring managers and other users, that you really have a good foundational basis for why you're doing what you're doing and that the recruiters understand the process of, of getting this integrated with their applicant tracking system and also understanding how it's going to help them become more efficient in, in terms of the roles that they're managing. And then finally, when we shift to the hiring managers, it's important that we focus on the fact that this process may be a little bit more work in terms of the beginning and being able to do challenge creation. But in the end, the, the smaller, more high quality slate of candidates they're going to get for their roles is going to be worth the time and effort that they put into the process. Now, Anne, you had mentioned the Gap Jumpers onboarding process. Um, walk us through the process, actually. Well, we've looked at the Gap Jumpers process really as a three to a four step process where we're starting with that buyer group and we're helping them to identify where they may be having issues within their hiring pipeline. And it could be that they're seeing some kind of resourcing problems or possibly screening problems. And by really identifying their, taking a look at their data and identifying where they may be having drop offs in, in the pipeline, we can really help them address those issues with our product. So once we have identified some of those issues and we talk to the, the buyer group about how the solution can fit, then we move on to our second step. Uh, we usually start with a very small pilot of five to 10 roles so that we can really show them the impact that this product can have and how it can drive solutions and drive the benefits uh, as the, in the company as a whole with their HR solutions. 
once we have that pilot set up, we start with onboarding the recruiting user group. And we go through with them how our product integrates with the ATS and, and how we can uh, communicate with their applicants in a way that is very similar to the company's communication style as a whole. And then we move on our onboarding process for step three would be with the hiring managers and explaining to them with a top-down view how this process works in terms of challenge creation and creating those unique assessments that are particular to their roles and their needs and how those uh, assessments then help them evaluate the skill set of the applicants that are applying to their roles. So I, I think it's a three-step multi-pronged process to make sure that each of our stakeholders knows the roles and responsibilities that are involved with this process, how things are going to change and how things are going to stay the same so that they can be rest assured that the, the process as a whole is going to be very efficient and is still going to deliver to them quality candidates that are above what they would consider their, their threshold or their quality bar for the types of roles that they need to fill. What I will add to this is our onboarding process typically does two additional things that I think is important. We try and automate as much as possible and where possible to ensure that the respective stakeholders have minimal effort for you know the input that they need to give for the process to move along. And secondly, we try and, and delight them uh, and surprise them uh, along the way so that uh, the process doesn't seem monotonous and boring at times. Those are two things we strive to improve on constantly and, and ensure that we're delivering maximum value by automating as much as possible and reducing their effort uh, and also making sure we delight our users along the way uh, in surprising and interesting ways. So what do you do when onboarding adoption stagnates? For me, I think that you know, stagnation occurs when some kind of expectation either doesn't happen, isn't met, or is somehow mismanaged. So in order to prevent that from happening and hopefully be proactive in addressing red flags or concerns, opening the lines of communication and making sure that we are touching base frequently with all of our stakeholders is incredibly important. Uh, we want to prevent that from happening because I think when you start to see rules stagnate, is when perhaps they're not getting a higher volume, they're not getting enough candidates through to their role, they're not seeing the kind of submissions that they want to see. And so it's just important to keep communicating with them, talk to them about what they're seeing, and making sure that we adjust our process and, and also manage those expectations so that we don't ever get to that point. So in both your opinions, does poor onboarding always result in poor project outcomes? I don't think that one necessarily always follows the other. Uh, again, I think that it's it's important to stop that process as soon as you start seeing those red flags and those concerns so that you prevent it from affecting the overall project outcome. Um, again, keeping those lines of communication open and trying to address proactively those concerns is something that is going to prevent you from having a poor experience. And I think as we have continued to work with many different clients across many different industries, we have been able to see what in our onboarding process is successful and what we can improve. And so we continue to learn and grow as we work with each new client and adapt our process to make sure that we are addressing any of those concerns up front and making sure that anything that we do see is taken care of and resolved before it results in, in anything that would affect the larger project as a whole. Kedar? I agree with Anne completely. You know, being proactive, I think, is the key to making any project outcome be successful. And a lack of that 
will definitely result in a poor project outcome. Now, to wrap up this first podcast, let's talk about something nice, success. User success can be contagious. You know, when people get onboarded correctly, they enjoy the software, they enjoy the process, they want to share that. What are some effective ways that CapJumpers helps the users share their successes across other user groups and the organization? I like to think about success in, in two ways. So there is the near-term success, which uh, we all sort of look forward to on a weekly basis or even you know many times in a week while using a certain software product that gives us that dopamine hit uh, that tells us to come back again and use more of it. And then there are the longer-term uh, success metrics that need to be tracked over time diligently uh, without you know losing focus on. Let me tackle the first piece first, which is, the short-term metrics and how do we deliver short-term sort of user success criteria to our recruiters and our hiring managers. The recruiters are typically looking to see how effectively candidates are you know, taking up a job or a new requisition that they've posted and how well they're converting to applying to these jobs and being interested in them and actually being even successful. And if we can show recruiters that our process delivers a good volume of candidates that are extremely well qualified, then that makes recruiters reassured that this is a good solution and a good way of adapting to. And so we deliver that almost on a weekly basis by demonstrating to them the quality of candidates that come through and the volume of candidates that actually love to take Gap Jumper's blind audition. And so that makes them really happy to see that uh, you know, the volume of candidates is there and this is not a process that puts people off. And typically, hiring managers start to see the quality of the candidates that come in within three days of actually getting on board. So that's quite remarkable when you think about that stakeholder group, which is hiring managers uh, typically starting to love a product or a solution within three days of usage, especially in, you know, in the hiring context, which typically takes maybe a month, a month and a half to fill a role um, and, and a process that's typically deemed cumbersome and you know exhaustive. Those are some key moments where we try and tap into delivering value on a you know near-term basis. And, and that can be quite rewarding, not only just for our stakeholders, but also for us when we see happy customers like Peter, you mentioned, it can be quite infectious. And that we see that translate quite quickly within the organization between peers. So hiring managers quite willingly wanting to share their success stories with other team members, with other leaders within the organization. Recruiters pitching cap jumpers to their peers within the organization, asking them if they would like to bring on additional roles. Of course, you know, the, the longer term metrics require a lot more diligence where you know, um, we take the time and effort over, you know, a quarter or over six months to report back on the longer term criteria for success around diversity and inclusion and even, you know, uh, recruitment metrics across different business units and how we communicate those back to uh, the key bio group, which might be heads of people or heads of diversity and inclusion in an organization. And so the, the two of them require very different approaches and very different tactics in order for you know, an organization to move a solution from pilot all the way to company-wide adoption.
Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I'll just quickly add two additional things. And Kadar had started to touch on the applicant experience. And I think part of what increases a wider adoption among our clients is the fact that this is such a positive applicant experience. It's, it's a different way for applicants to show their skills to employers rather than being represented by a simple piece of paper. And I think that that is very positive and, and it's something that quickly is shared in social media channels and, and other avenues where applicants are talking to each other and, and letting people know that this company is doing something different. And I think that that is really respected out there within the wider community. And then secondly, I think that with our experience across many of our clients, it's been quite easy to start to develop those internal evangelists because it really shapes for the hiring manager a different face of what talent might look like and, and where it's coming from. And I think showing them how to widen their talent pool and to see that the kinds of quality applicants that they are getting into this process might not be coming from backgrounds that they expected or, or they're very surprised with where these, these applicants are coming from, and yet they can be very, very successful, not only in the short term, but also in the long term. You know, at this point, we've worked with several clients for 12, 24, even, even longer you know, months, several years at this point, and the type of applicants that they are hiring through this process are not only high quality at the beginning, but they have been meritoriously promoted. They've been very successful in the company, are growing within their role, and, and being able to move beyond the role that they were initially hired for. So I, I think when hiring managers have a very positive experience with our product and, and see that not only are applicants very happy with it, but they're gaining a long-term uh, you know, contributor that is going to stay with the company and be retained for a long time, uh, that, that that evangelist then is, is made and they start spreading the word about our product internally and also externally as well. On that note, Thank you both for this podcast on the GapJumper onboarding experience. This podcast is brought to you by GapJumpers on a mission to eradicate workplace bias by 2025. If you fear that unconscious bias is harming your company, GapJumpers can help you design a program to eradicate it. To learn more, visit gapjumpers.me. If you've enjoyed listening to this conversation, do please share this podcast. Thank you for listening to the Slightly Evil Podcast.